Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonderful gift of community here today. We thank you for the opportunity to worship you, to to learn from you, to be encouraged by you, but also the opportunity to um, share you with each other and with others. Lord, may your Holy Spirit be with us today as we reflect on this passage, somewhat difficult for us at times. May you open our hearts and minds to receive from you and help us to be your disciples who reflect your love. In Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. One of the great blessings to the world, I believe, is the church. Now, at the moment, in this time, many people wouldn't think the church is a great blessing because of some things that have happened. And that's because people have strayed away from what God has called us to do, have focused on themselves pleasing their own desires, rather than focused on listening to God and even living a sacrificial love that helps others know God's love and grace. And so our focus today is about this life together. And we're going to look at some of that um, gospel reading, which is, doesn't seem to have too much gospel in it, does it? It seems to have a lot more you shall not do stuff. But there's some things behind it which may help us unpack what Jesus is, what's happening here with Jesus and the crowd that he's talking to. As we begin, I'd like you to think about these two questions. Have these two questions in your mind as we go through the sermon, but also take them away today and think about them during the week. First of all is, how should my relationship with a God affect my relationship with others? And secondly, what does it mean to be part of a Christian community? Some years ago, a gentleman called Michael Foss, a Lutheran pastor from America, wrote the, did some research and some study and said one of the challenges the church faces, we talk about church membership. And the unfortunate thing is people treat church membership the same as they treat the membership of the NRMA. It's only there for them when they get into trouble. And when they do get into trouble, they demand the church helps or God helps. And he said, but that's not the biblical understanding of church membership and in fact he prefers the term church discipleship and so I'd encourage you to think about these two terms these two questions how should my relationship with God affect my relationship with others and what does it mean to be part of a Christian community seeing that yes your relationship with God is very important but also there's something about being part of a community that God doesn't just ask us to do or encourages, but actually says, this is part of my relationship with you. Now, today's reading is, um, we don't pick it up too well on just reading the pericope for today, unless we put it into context, biblical context, which I'll come to. But just think about the, the the context. Jesus is there with his disciples and he's teaching them, but he's also teaching a crowd. Now, some scholars tend to go, oh, he's only teaching disciples, but many others would debate he's teaching the whole crowd. And amongst the crowd, there are people who have fallen in love with this radical, ratbag, rebellious Jesus. And there's others who have um, very weary of him. This new character on the block is teaching something that's quite different. And already Jesus talked about the Beatitudes, which I term an upside-down kingdom understanding that this is who are blessed and it doesn't seem to be the people that previous religious teachers would have talked about being blessed. Then he's talked about the salt and light in the church, us as Christians being the salt and light in the world. Then he has this other little statement, which was part of last week's reading, but I didn't touch in the sermon, which is that he is the fulfilment of the law. 
And so there could be some confusion amongst people. It means, oh, if I follow Jesus, I don't have to worry about any rules. In fact, I can rip out the Old Testament and not have to worry about it. And that is, in fact, how some Christians choose to live. But that's not what he says. He says, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And then he becomes, to today's readings, he comes up with something that's quite radical. And it's quite radical because most people, whether they'll be Jewish um, or whether they'll be other religions, had a focus of what's most important is me and God. So long as I have the me and God in place, everything's okay. And if I happen to have good friendships at church or in my, with other relationships, that's okay. Now, some religions go, oh, um, yes, I've got to serve others. Like Buddhism says, I've got to serve others. But that's so I can get blessed. Because if I don't get, serve others and don't love others... I'm going to come back as an ant so Bruce can step on me. So the issue Jesus comes up with in this, very, this, this scene is that he presents something quite radical. He says, basically he reveals that a personal relationship with God means our relationships with others are highly important. Our relationships with others in the church and with others in the wider community, but particularly in the church, our fellow followers of Jesus are highly important. And unless you see that, you won't, some of these rules won't make sense that he talks about. So it's God, me and others. And if you think about your Christian life, it's God, me and others. Right? Keep thinking about that. Um, it will help you in your journey of faith. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a Lutheran pastor during um, the war and was somebody who was killed just before the war because he spoke out against Hitler, wrote a book called Life Together. And Life Together was um, how important the Christian community was together, to be, not just to come together, but to be fellowship, to support each other and to encourage each other. And he makes this comment in the book. He says, The brother and sister is a burden to the Christian. Precisely he or she is a Christian. For the pagan, the other person never becomes a burden at all. He simply sidesteps every burden that others may impose upon him or her. And as I was reading that, I was thinking, that's very relevant for today. There's a lot of people who says, will live by the um, motto, if it doesn't make me happy, chuck it out. And they do that with stuff, but they also do that with people. Right? And yet, as Christians... As Christians, we are called to live with our burdens. And I'm sure there are people in the Christian church, the Christian faith, that you go, oh, I have a really hard time with them. And I can tell you there's some pastors that you know, I'd prefer not to have a coffee or a beer with. But this calling by Jesus is to be a community. And if you think about the New Testament, you think about the consistent theme that flows through there, is that we, are, we need each other. We are called to be God's body of Christ. If you go to the 1 Corinthians 12, which I'm not going to touch on today, we are called to be the body of Christ with Christ at the head. And so we come to part of today's reading. And Jesus says, Therefore, if you are offering a gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar, First, go and be reconciled to them, 
then come and offer your gift. Can you see the encouragement for us to deal with our relationships? The gift of the altar is our offering. But don't just have your relationship with God, also deal with your relationships with each other. So some background to our day's reading that may help us understand some things. Remember the biblical context, this is part of the Sermon on the Mount. Chapter 5 is all the Sermon on the Mount. We've had the Beatitudes, we've had the Salt and Light, we've had Jesus is the fulfilment of the law, not to abolish it. Then we come to what some call um, six interpretations of Jesus of the Torah. And we're going to look at four of those briefly. And I've labelled it living beyond the law because what you notice is Jesus will lay down and says, this is what you've been told. However, there's a higher expectation. There's more that's involved. And then he ends this section with a challenge. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And it's a follow-on from what's in Deuteronomy be a blessing to others because you're, or be holy because your heavenly Father is holy. And so our relation, and it's a reminder that our relationships with God affect our relationships with others. And because we have a relationship with God, that should form and shape our relationships with other people. The other thing that's interesting to note in today's passages and this, these six sections is that there's these two phrases that occur regularly. One is, Jesus says, you have heard it. And the other, he says, but I tell you. The you have heard it is a reference to the traditional religious understanding of what murder is about or what adultery is about. In other words, the Jewish, the Torah understanding the but I tell you is Jesus saying this is my understanding of what it's about of what these laws mean and in fact he's really encouraging people or saying to people you need to not just follow the letter of the law you need to follow the spirit that's behind the law and that is a call to prioritise others by the way we live and to live beyond the letter of the law our society encourages us to live to the letter of the law. And not do too much else. And in fact, the law sometimes inhibits us. I was just reading this morning that um, the Celeste um, comedian that raised all this money and donated to RFS is now a problem because RFS's constitutional rules say they can't give money to any other charity that must be used specifically for this. And so they've caught themselves in a bind because of the law. And so the, the difficulty that Jesus is confronting is that people are fixed to, what are the rules? What are the laws? What do I have to do according to the law? Not what is God calling me to do. And so we become, to understand these some difficult passages is to understand them in the context of community. It's to understand that we are called to have a relationship with God, but also relationships with others. And the first one is to remember, is to recognise, the first thing 
that Jesus is really encouraging us to do is to recognise the problems that anger causes. He says, But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. Anyone who says, You fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. I don't know about you, but every time I get angry, it affects a relationship. Sometimes I put my anger in the wrong place and it affects other relationships that shouldn't. But have you, I don't know if you've been in this situation, but if you've ever been angry with somebody or someone's ever been angry with you, how good has your relationship with been? And sometimes relationships have ceased. Sometimes they've deteriorated, they've been killed. Recently I heard of a, a, a family who have got an inheritance issue. Three months ago they are all happy family. Someone's died and because the father and the mother had decided that one part of the family is going to get a significant part of the inheritance because it's their business, they've been working in the business and everything, the others have got angry over it even though that had been previously discussed. So think about when you get angry and what do you do when you get angry? When you're angry with somebody, yes, we'll get angry. That's a natural thing, but there are some healthy ways to deal with it and respond. And one of those is to take the initiative to reconcile. Jesus says, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. Now, sometimes... Sometimes you'll be going, hmm, I know someone's got a problem with me, but that's their problem. If they want to fix it, they've got to come and come to me. But what Jesus is encouraging us to do here is saying, think about your relationship with them is important as the body of Christ. Your relationship is important. Take the initiative. They may be worried about how you're going to respond. It says, first go and be reconciled and then come and offer your gift. And so there's this pointing to, let's focus on restoring our relationships and enhancing our relationships. And that's why spending time together, making time with each other is important. And not rushing things is also important. Because often we have to deal with a lot of things. And this particular community, as a church community, we're very different in a lot of ways. People come from different backgrounds, different understanding, there's different skills, there's different... um, ethnic understandings of stuff, so often we have to take time to listen. But if you think somebody's got something against you, take the time to restore that relationship. Take the initiative. Go out of your way. And if you want the best example of that, that's exactly what God the Father has done for us. If you think about what God has done for us, God didn't sit back and said, look, Shane, I'm going to wait until you're perfect before I uh, come down to you. He's gonna, he comes down, he sends Jesus down to us because we need it. And we can confidently become before God, as the book of Hebrews says, because Jesus has done that. Remember, we are called to be God's community on earth to reflect his love. And so can you start to see why some of these rules are important, these, this encouragement and is important. Then we come to the area of adultery. 
probably not the most popular topic to preach on in the church today in society, but the whole area of adultery, and you won't understand this unless you understand something else. Um, all the power in adultery laid in the male's hands back in those days. So they could control whether they get divorced or not. They could say they're divorced but not tell the wife. They had all this power. Right? Jesus says, hold on a moment. Right? Think about others. Think about your wife, the predicament you put them into. Also offer them. Be clear, be clear with them. So he's encouraging us to respect others. Don't view them as someone to fulfil your desires, is the, is the adultery area. Right? That was the other issue, is that pack then, is that males often viewed women, and we still have a bit of this in today, and we have it both ways, is you hear couples talk about my husband or my wife, right, in such a way as they own them. And they sometimes treat them that way. And it goes both ways. Go and watch that weird show, Married at First Sight, how some talk about each other. Right? And here, Jesus encouraged them, don't view people as someone to fulfil your own desires. View them as somebody to be loved and to walk beside. Now this goes way back to Genesis where God says, I'm going to give you a partner, someone to walk beside you. He says, and I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And so the other issue that Jesus is focusing on here is highlighting and pointing to what's on your heart. What are you focused on? What are you, what's, what are you thinking about? Because I can tell you if you're thinking about anger, your mind's going to be mixed up and you're going to act and do things in a certain way. If you're focused on someone, um, and I, I'm pretty sure for those who are married now, you know, you may recall when you start, first started dating, where you first saw your wife or your husband and the amount of time, times and things you sacrificed. And he's not talking about just falling in love, but he's talking about, oh, don't lust after somebody to the point that it controls your life. And so this marriage issue comes up, it follows about the adultery. And he says, But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. And that go, just keep in mind to understand this a little bit better and clearer, is that the man had power back then and would often be seen as the, the one who had done nothing wrong and the wife had done something wrong. And what Jesus is saying is if you divorce your wife, you are causing them to commit adultery, even if they've done nothing wrong. Right? A very public thing. So here we are encouraged, and I'm sure most of you are not going to think about divorcing your spouse, but here we are encouraged to consider your decisions and action and how your decisions and actions affect others. Consider how... Well, the decisions you make affect the other people. Now think about it in the wider church context. Think about how some of your decisions and some of your actions may affect other people. And then we come to near the end of today's focus and he, there's a very much a focus which is a bit 
countercultural even for today. And that is give trust and keep trust. Give trust and keep trust. And it's linked to the oaths. It says again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne. Now the difficulty with the difficulty here, when you think, oh, an oath's a good thing, you know. Um, we as pastors, we make vows, which would be seen as a form of oath, because it makes it clear about what we've committed to. But what Jesus is pointing to is that, that those vows can become a very legalistic approach to life. And instead, what he's calling us to be do is to have a relationship with others where we trust each other, where we encourage each other. And that means give trust, which is very important, particularly for today. There's, I don't know if you feel this way or notice this, but there's this term that goes around is that people must earn trust. And the difficulty we have is that for somebody to receive trust, we must give it. And so there's encouragement from Jesus here to give trust to people, to be a bit vulnerable at times and to open up and say to people, we're going to trust each other as church. But also, this passage goes on, keep trust. May your yes be yes and your no be no. So be committed to living a life of following Jesus' mission and be committed to living a life of trusting each other. So what does this mean for us now and for the future? The first is probably obvious and can be stated about most passages, but it's it's an encouragement again, not just to listen to how the world thinks things should happen, but to be shaped by Jesus' perspective of life, to allow Jesus to, to work in us and to shape us who we are. And so we can be that salt and light that we talked about last week. The second thing is live with a focus on God, me and others. As Christians, don't you think it's great to come to church and worship and you've got your God feel? But remember, when you come to church that it's you and the Christian community and to encourage others. Highly value the Christian community. And then look for ways to contribute and enhance the Christian community, to use the gifts and talents that God has given you in a way that help others grow in Christ, be encouraged by Christ, but also help others share Christ with others. Because if we think about the whole of chapter 5 of Matthew, what we see is Jesus introducing not just his initial disciples, but a whole crowd of people, and some of that crowd would have been Pharisees, to this radical spiritual religion that was the true religion that God had, that people hadn't fully understood. He's revealing that a personal relationship with God means we'll have relationship with others. And for some that might be a burden, but Think about this. Imagine getting to heaven and you're the only one there. Now imagine getting to heaven and there's going to be all these people. Some are going to be surprised. You may even be surprised you're in heaven unless you understood that you're there because of Jesus. And as... Some scholars like to point to, if we follow the book of Revelation as an introduction to heaven, there's going to be beautiful singing. 
So Virginia won't have to listen to my singing. She can listen to everybody else's singing. But she'll probably hear me, but in a perfect way. And that's because Jesus came into this world not for himself, but for us. So consider what that means as we live our life reflecting Jesus in this world. Amen.